You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Take your Bible, Nehemiah chapter number 7. We're going to read verse number uh, 5, and then we're going to jump to the end of the chapter and read a couple of verses, verse number 63 and verse number 64. And uh, I want to preach a message God laid on my heart for tonight. And here's what happens when you're just preaching through a book of the Bible. You really don't have much liberty on what you're going to preach next. You preach next what God gives you next in the book that you're preaching through. And it's Wednesday night. And if ever I felt in my heart, well, I'd rather preach this on a Sunday morning or something like that, it'd be a message like this. But God knows what He's doing. How many believe that? How many think God knows better than what we do? I think God's in control. So I'm going to just follow the Lord and preach what He laid on my heart for tonight. And I trust you've had a great week and a good day today. And I want God to meet with us. I know this. I've had more distractions. My, the lens in my glasses popped out. I was just sitting at the desk studying for the message. I came back early, 2.30 today, and stayed until the time for tonight. I was sitting there at my desk, and all of a sudden this lens in my glasses it popped. Well, I don't have a clue. I don't know if it's too much caffeine. I don't know what happened to that lens in my glasses. So I had to go home and get a, a backup pair. This is the pair I was wearing about a year ago. And I think my prescription's different because some of you look better tonight than you did last time I preached. Um, so I think it's different. I might wear these all the time for England. Anyway, I like the way you look up there. But there's a reason he's by himself. But anyway, that happened. And then I got a really encouraging, discouraging text message from a preacher friend. They're real good about being right on time with stupid things. And so I got that text message. And then just other things this afternoon. And so I know God wants to do something because that doesn't happen most of the time, but it happened tonight. I honestly believe the further that we travel together into the final days of the last days, probably the more needed this kind of a message will be. Not because it's the greatest message or I'm the greatest preacher, but just because it'll probably be the root cause of why we see so much of what we see in our churches. Weakened churches, worldly churches, weak anemic Christianity. I want you to look with me at your Bible in verse number 5. Nehemiah, now the wall has been built, the doors have been hung, his brethren are now put in position to be rulers in the city of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah, in verse number 5, the Bible said, And my God put in mine heart to gather together the nobles and the rulers and the people, that they might be reckoned by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of them, which came up at the first. And then the next phrase said, And found written therein. And if you take verse number 6 to the end of the chapter, it's a lengthy chapter, verse 73, the Bible lists by name the members of that original remnant that had returned to Jerusalem. In this list, you find names of people, names of places. You find singers, porters, and priests listed in these verses that we won't take the time to read tonight. Picture Nehemiah in your mind. He finds this register. I don't know if he finds it. Uh, in that uh, freshly rebuilt temple. I don't know if Ezra provided it. I don't know. But he finds a register and he begins to read names in the record book like they sing about. And as he's reading off these lists of names, verse number 63 begins a section of what would be the priests that would serve in the temple. 
these people that were given that special place, that special privilege to stand between God and man. They were in the priesthood. Look what it says. And of the priests, the children of Habiah, the children of Koz, the children of Barzillai, which took one of the daughters of Barzillai, the Gileadite, to wife and was called after their name. So he mentions three different groups of people that reckoned themselves in the registry as priests. But in verse 64 is what God used to absolutely break my heart. Because I hear this uttered by pastors every week when I travel to preach. I know in my heart and I know in our pastors, we, we talk about these things. Look what it says. These sought their register among those that were reckoned by genealogy. But it was not found. Therefore were they as polluted, put from the priesthood. These people had acted like they were priests. They'd said they were priests. They'd claimed that title for themselves. But when that book was opened and Nehemiah searched the book and even allowed them to search the book, their name wasn't there. They could say it, they could claim it, but it didn't matter if it wasn't in the book. And the Bible says that they as polluted, unclean, were for a season put from that priesthood until it could be determined whether they were priests or not. For a little while tonight, I want to lay a foundation in the first minute or two of this message. We'll look at this text. I'll explain it like I just did and then make an application tonight. But here's what I want you to agree with me to do. Would you allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak to your heart? But more than that, would you be willing to obey whatever the Holy Spirit of God reveals to you or speaks to your heart about tonight. For a little while this evening, I want to preach on this. Reckoning with your record. Reckoning with your record. Let's pray. God, I pray for power, please. I pray that you'd help me to preach. Control my words, my thoughts, my spirit, the tone of my voice. God, however you want me to preach it, whether it be different than my normal delivery, whatever you want, I want you to have your way tonight. I don't know everybody's heart. The only person I can say I know for sure is saved here tonight is me. Everybody here knows their own situation. But I pray if there be anybody here tonight that's not born again, they're not in the book, I pray they'd get saved tonight. There's thousands of people that'll see this online. I pray for those that are watching, maybe now or later, that you'll speak to their heart. And if they're not born again, if they're not in the book, I pray they'd get saved after they hear the message. I pray that you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an acrostic for the title Baptist that we use to uh, teach the defining marks of what a Baptist or Baptists are. I'll give it to you quickly. The B in the acrostic stands for the Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. We don't follow a man-written document or creed. We follow the Word of God. The A stands for the autonomy of the local church. That's just a big Bible college word for an independent, self-governing Local church. We believe that the pastor leads the church as he's led by Jesus Christ, who is the chief shepherd. The T in the Baptist acrostic stands for two church offices, and that is Baptist, uh, sorry, pastor and deacon. The I in the Baptist acrostic stands for individual soul liberty. The S in that acrostic stands for a saved and baptized membership. The other T in the acrostic, Baptist, stands for two church ordinances. We observed one last Wednesday night, that's the Lord's table, and the other would be baptism by immersion. The S in Baptists we would use for separation of church and state. 
Now, you probably noticed that I skipped the P, and I skipped it on purpose because I want to emphasize that tonight. The P in the Baptist acrostic stands for the priesthood of the believer. Now, by the way, all of those things are more than Baptist things. They are Bible things. We like to say it like this. It is the Bible that makes us a Baptist. That's why it's important that we identify as North Valley Baptist Church and not just North Valley Church or North Church or Valley Church. It matters what you believe. It expresses to the world our body of doctrine. It is North Valley Baptist Church. The priesthood of the believers, a Bible truth, and it's a very wonderful truth. In this dispensation, a priest is not the man who wears a long robe, wears a rosary, has a clerical collar, uh, doesn't have a wife, and wants to have himself called father. That is not a priest. That is not Bible. That is a cult, just in case you wonder where I stand on all of that. But a New Testament born-again person can call themselves a priest. As a New Testament believer, I don't have to go through a man. I don't have to go through a church. I don't have to go through a hierarchy to go to God. Rather, I have total access to God on my own as a member of the spiritual priesthood. My priestly garments don't include a black robe or a white collar. Rather, I've been washed in the blood and wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, they had a priesthood. In the New Testament, we are a priesthood. Priesthood implies relationship. It implies representation. It implies a responsibility. Aaron and the Levites were Jewish priests under the Old Testament dichotomy. They had the accountability and the opportunity to stand as mediators between God and man. They offered sacrifices for the sins of the people. They fulfilled the services of the tabernacle and then later the temple. In the Old Testament, the priest would stand before God to represent his nation. But in the New Testament, we as priests can go boldly into the throne of grace on our own. We can confess our sins continually on our own. We can be cleansed by the sacrifice of Christ upon Calvary. And we've been commissioned not to serve in a temple, but to serve the Lord in the local church until the end of our life or until the trumpet sounds. The Old Testament priesthood ministered in the temple. I'll say it again, but we minister in the church. Their holy of holies was earthly. Our holy of holies is heavenly. Their mercy seat was temporal. Hallelujah, ours is eternal. Their position was given to them by their natural birth. Our position was gifted to us by the new birth. In the Old Testament, those priests would serve under a temporal high priest. But tonight, you and I as priests serve an eternal high priest. That's why the book of Hebrews says repeatedly that the new covenant is better than the old covenant. The Bible speaks of our priesthood in 1 Peter 2, 5. It says, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. It goes on in verse 9 and says, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
in the last book of the Bible, God goes on. And he says, from Jesus Christ, who's the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever Amen. So tonight you can call yourself a priest in Jesus Christ. And tonight I can call myself a priest in Jesus Christ. And the good news about that is Hebrews chapter number four, verse 16, where it says, I can come boldly unto the throne of grace to obtain help and mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. That's a good place to say amen right there. I'm glad I don't have to have a confessional booth. I'm glad I don't have to have some fellow wearing a robe. I'm glad I don't have to pay enough money, but I can go to Jesus. I can go to God anytime because I'm a priest and I'm a king because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther was a, a Catholic monk that got born again. He read the book of Romans and found out justification is not by works, but it's by faith. And he made this statement. He said the title priest ought to be as common as the title Christian. From plowboy to milkmaid to preacher, every Christian is a priest. Now let me say this, it is good to be a priest. Being made a priest by the new birth means I have now the right ancestry. It means I now have the right access. It means I now have the right atonement. It means I have the right acceptance in the eyes of God. I've been washed in his blood. I've been born of the spirit. I've been written in the book of life. I've been clothed in his righteousness. I'm a son. I'm a saint. I'm an ambassador. And I'm a priest unto my God. Now tonight, the full realization of our priesthood won't be enjoyed until the millennial kingdom and later the new Jerusalem. But there's plenty of good things that come with being a priest right now. You say, what is it? I'm glad you asked me. I can intercede for others right now. I can pray for salvation. I can pray for healing. I can pray for revival and whatever needs somebody else might have. I can offer my praise for God's glory. I can give my body as a sacrifice on the altar of his will and for his service every day. I can enter his presence and find whatever I need, whenever I need it, as I go through life. In the Old Testament, there's many different priests. Noah and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob were priests even before the Levitical priesthood. Later, God chose the Levites and then Aaron to serve in the priesthood. And let me say, the Old Testament had a priesthood and it was a big deal. But can I say, it's a bigger deal to me in the New Testament because not, we, it's not that we have a priesthood, it's that we are a priesthood. At Calvary, when that temple veil was rent, it opened access to whosoever will to God. And I'm glad now I can march into the Holy of Holies by the name of Jesus Christ and enjoy the presence of God anytime I want to. Salvation is more than a prayer. Salvation is more than a, uh, some kind of formality. Salvation Salvation is more than you trading out hell for heaven. Salvation was more than exchanging death for life. Salvation made us a priest with all the rights pertaining thereto in the eyes of God. Now tonight, that was the foundation. This evening as we look at Nehemiah 7, I want us to consider a sobering thought. The Bible said there were some folks here that said they were priests, but they weren't. And they were put from the priesthood because in God's eyes they were polluted. And I want to preach on this thought for a minute, reckoning with your record. In Nehemiah chapter 7, this chapter is a register of the remnant. 
In these 73 verses, the Bible will list the names of common people, noble people, wealthy people, poor people, singers, musicians, and priests. And I like that because it kind of sounds like a local church, doesn't it? All kinds of different people from all kinds of different places, all put together by the will of God to do a work for Him. And I'm glad that sounds like a church. You study out this chapter, it's one of those genealogy chapters. That's right. It's one of those chapters we skip in our Bible reading. When you read this chapter, you'll read it and think, well, there's nothing in this chapter for me. And in fact, if you read this chapter, you find God gives no instruction on how we're supposed to live. God gives no instruction on how we're supposed to worship. God gives no instruction on how we're supposed to pray. There seems to be very little spiritual application whatsoever. But as you come down to these verses that I read to you tonight, I think we can make a very powerful application for us to consider this evening. In the opening verses, the Bible says that Nehemiah has finished the wall. The doors have been placed in their in their in their position. The porters and the singers have been appointed and the musicians have been placed. Nehemiah's brethren are given rule like governors over the city of Jerusalem. But as you read down and come to verse number five, we find a phrase and I want you to see it with me. Nehemiah has a burden on his heart to gather together the remnant of Israel and to reckon them according to their genealogy. It says right here, and God, and my God put it in my heart to gather together the nobles and the rulers and the people. And here's that phrase, that they might be reckoned by genealogy. So here's what he wants to do. He wants to get those several, several, several thousands of people, and he wants to reckon them. He wants to put them in the right position. He doesn't want somebody in a position they had no right to have. He didn't want to give someone a title they had no claim to. He didn't want somebody parading around uh, as something that they weren't, whether on purpose or by honest mistake. So God put it in his heart to reckon the remnant according to their genealogy. Now at the end of that verse, the Bible makes the statement, and I found a register. I was reading that and I pictured it in my mind. I don't know if Nehemiah was rummaging around in some old record room in Jerusalem. I don't know. I don't know if a scribe brought it to him. I don't know if they'd found the record earlier and then placed it in the temple and Nehemiah pulled it out. But I saw that in my mind. I was in the ready room and I saw we have a huge Bible back there. And I thought it would illustrate it well. Just a big book. This is the word of God. But just for tonight, a big record book. And if you're wondering, yes, I came in here earlier and I tested this stand out and it'll hold the weight. Just like some of you should do with the pew. Say amen right there. Anyway, I, I did. I went and picked on the Bible and I brought it out. It, it'll hold it. I see Nehemiah. He finds a register. In this register are the lists of names that made up the remnant. Some are singers, some are porters, some are nobles, some are priests, but the names are listed there in the register. Can you imagine how exciting that day must have been? But on the other hand, can you imagine how nerve-wracking that day must have been? I mean, as that crowd gathered together to hear their names read from that register, Nehemiah begins 
begins to go down through that record and he sees a family name. He reads it aloud. Maybe they shouted, amen. That's us right there. He reads down a little bit further. He reads some other names. They say, that's us right there. And I can see his anticipation is mixed with tension as Nehemiah reads down that record. All of these names are read off in their shock and their sorrow and there's rejoicing as he reads the names. If you study out the chapter, there's 33 different families listed in the register. There's 42,360 people listed in that register. That's a long list. I mean, can you imagine standing through over 42,000 names and places as Nehemiah reads it off, waiting for your name to be read from the record? Now, I was studying this chapter, and I thought, well, we'll skip chapter 7 and get to chapter 8. That'll be easier than actually preaching through every chapter, because it's a genealogy chapter. And I was read, read through it, and I got to the end of it. I thought, well, I can't skip it now, because God began to speak to my heart about six, verse 63 and verse number 64. I believe that these verses expose one of the most dangerous realities in Christianity right now. This chapter is reckoning day. It's where the remnants presented with their record and then assigned accordingly. As those thousands of names are read from the record, Nehemiah comes down to verse 63. And this is the group that would make up the priesthood. These would be those that had the privilege to serve in the temple. These would be those that had the rights to stand before God and offer sacrifices for the people. The record of the priest begins and it lists some names here. The name of Habiah and the name of children of cause and the name of Barzillai. The next verse must be a million times easier for us to read than it was for that crowd to live through. I mean, they're standing there. These different groups of people, the children of cause, the children of Hananiah, all these families, they're right there as he's reading the record. But the Bible says, I mean, imagine this. They're there thinking that they're priests. They're there and they probably told people, I'm a priest. Maybe they'd even carried themselves that way. Well, daddy said I was a priest and grandma said we were in the priestly lineage. I mean, we've always reckoned ourselves as priests and they were sure that Nehemiah would read their name off of the list. But the Bible says as Nehemiah got down in the record and he came to those that were to be priests there in Jerusalem, that their names were not found among those that were reckoned by genealogy. It says it was not found. And the Bible said they were taken like they were polluted and put out of the priesthood. Can I say that'd be a horrible day in the life of those individuals. They thought they were in the book. They thought they were in the register. They thought they were in the right crowd. But according to the record, their name was not in the book. I'd say they were confident. They were convinced. Maybe their heart was settled on them. I'm all right. I know where I stand. But when Nehemiah read the list, their name wasn't in the book. I don't doubt that they didn't run to the book and say, let me see it for myself. I don't believe you. It's got to be there. Daddy said it was there. Mama said it was there. Grandpa said it was We've acted like it lived like it's got to be there. And as they would lay their own eyes on that book, same conclusion as Nehemiah, they had no connection to Aaron at all. They had no connection with the Levites at all. They had no record or claim to the office or the anointing of a priest at all. They had no rights to the altar at all. They had no rights to the holy place at all. They had no rights to the special service of God at all. Whether they did it on purpose, whether they were posing, or whether they were just ignorant, the truth is this, they were imposters claiming to be something that they could not back up. And the Bible is very blunt, and it says they as polluted were put from the priesthood. They were cast off. 
They were a castaway. They were found as tares among the wheat or goats among the sheep. They were found as hypocrites. Can I say it's a shocking thing to think your name is not in the record. It's a shocking thing to think it should be in the record and then find that it's not there. They must have felt their hearts fall to their feet. They must have felt their pulse racing out of control. I'd say they were scared, nervous, un, maybe ashamed, unsure of what would happen in the future. Let me apply this now. Charles Spurgeon made the statement, we are a holy priesthood. He said, there are no priests now, save only those who are in Christ, and this priesthood belongs to all believers alike. All men and women who are in Christ, believing in Him, become sanctified by the Spirit and become, not some of them, but all of them, priests and kings unto God through Jesus Christ. And tonight, truly, if you're born again, we can say hallelujah, we're a royal priest in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not a priest because of our earthly lineage, lineage, but because of our spiritual adoption into the family of God. We haven't been made a priest by our genealogy. We were made a priest by amazing grace. I read this account in Nehemiah 7, and as I read it, my heart raced because I thought we're thousands of years ahead of this story, thousands of years removed. But think about it. I see this story unfold almost every week of the world, whether it's at a youth camp, whether it's at a revival meeting, whether it's out soul winning, whether it's at our own church, we see it happen over and over and over again. These people in our text claim to be in the priesthood, but that's all they had was a claim. They assumed they were in the record, but their name wasn't there. They lived among the remnant. They worked among the remnant. They walked among the remnant, but that's all they were. They weren't in the register. Can you see them standing there as every name is read out loud? See them standing there as their anticipation gives way to nervousness? Can you see them standing there as that gut-wrenching shock overtakes their body as they find their not in the record book. Amen. Right. Man, I've heard this quoted so many times by pastors across the country who've preached for longer years than I've been alive. And they quote and they either ascribe it to Lester Roloff or Lee Robertson and it goes back and forth. And one's as good as the other, but they say somebody said it. I think I heard R.G. Lee one time. They said, said it. But they said a quote was made by a preacher from the former generation. He said his fear was that 75% of the people he pastored were not saved. They carried a King James Bible, but they weren't saved. They wore Sunday dresses, but they weren't saved. They showed up in a suit and tie, but they weren't saved. They memorized the hymns and sung them well, but they were not saved. They might have taught a Sunday school class, sang in a choir, passed an offering plate, or played an instrument, but if their record book was checked, their names wouldn't be found therein. Saul of Tarsus was zealous, but his zeal didn't put him in the book. Nicodemus was religious, but his religion didn't get him in the book. The Samaritan woman worshipped, but her worship didn't put her in the book. Cornelius prayed, but his prayer didn't put him in the record book. Now let me stop right here and say, I despise a preacher that comes into town and tries to convince saved people that they're lost, to pad his numbers, and to get good statistics for his social media posts. I don't like that, and I preach against that, and I don't want that, but I've got to be honest to my heart and true to my calling tonight and say this, I can't understand and I can't explain all the mess, all the worldliness that we see in supposed Christian circles if it's not for the fact a lot of folks claim the name of Christ but have never been born again. They're wells without water, clouds carried with a tempest to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. Nehemiah had a record book but can I say there's a more important record book than that. There's a book of life in heaven. That book is filled with the names of all those who are genuinely saved by the grace of God. 
Let me say this, that book's going to be far different than a church membership role. That church will be far different than your Sunday school roster. That book isn't a record of a mixed multitude. That register is only filled with the names of people who've really been born again. Just like Nehemiah had a record of that priesthood to serve in Jerusalem, God has a record of his spiritual priesthood and it's there in heaven recorded in that book of life. Those not found in the record in Nehemiah 7 were put out as polluted. But how much worse will it be on judgment day for those that find they sat in a pew they gave their tithe maybe were baptized in deep water but they were not born again and get cast into a lake of fire it's not a Wednesday night message but it's the message God can put on my heart Revelation 20 verse 12 says and I saw the dead small and great stand before God and the books were open and another book was open which is the book of life there's an old red book hymn that says, my name is in the book of life. Oh, bless the name of Jesus. And it's a grand and glorious feeling to know that you are born again. But how horrible it must be to pillow your head at night, not knowing that you're saved, maybe made a profession, but no possession. You said a prayer, but you have no assurance. I wouldn't want to live that way and find I'm not in the book. In Luke 10, Jesus said, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. There will be a day where we reckon with our record. One of the 12 disciples wasn't saved. One out of 12 was a devil. Judas, Judas served at Jesus' side. Judas sat at Jesus' feet. Judas ate at Jesus' table. Judas attended Jesus' prayer meeting. Judas sat through Jesus' preaching. Judas served in Jesus' name. Judas was there every mile, saw his tears, felt his heartbeat, knew his compassion, and yet Judas kissed his face and went to hell. Matthew 15, 8, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. If even those closest to Christ weren't all converted, if just that one out of 12 ratio held true, how many in our own congregation or those around the world are not truly born again? It's dangerous, treacherous to be religious but not redeemed. It is dangerous to be religious but not born again. It is dangerous to be religious but not saved. You might be moral, you might be sweet, you might be kind, you might serve, you might look right, you might follow a long list, you might even claim to be saved. But can I say that's the problem? The average carnal compromising church in America is nothing more than a haven for hell-bound religious people. Feel good, live free, no conviction, no repentance, no gospel. Have you ever wondered why we see so much compromise? Why is that? Why is there so much carnality? I mean spiritual people, not the world. Why is it there's so much worldliness in the worship? Why is it that people can take Bible preaching and just cut it apart, cut it apart? They're supposed to be saved. Why is it the faithfulness is so frustrating? Why is it prayer is so pointless and witnessing so wearisome? Why is it folks hate holiness and they celebrate sin? I'm talking about Christian people, supposedly. Why is it that you can't get somebody who's supposed to be saved to pray? I'm not trying to preach it too narrow. I'm just, why is it you can't get somebody, they're born again and they won't even read their Bible? I didn't like my Bible before I got saved either. Why was it, why is it you can't get someone who's saved and filled with the Holy Ghost to live a holy life? Why is it that Christians want to fight about music and it's never fighting to make it more spiritual, it's always fighting to make it more uh, carnal? Supposed to be saved. Why is it that supposedly saved people uh, want to conform to the image of the world or not be conformed to the image of Christ?
I mean, they'll work hard for money, but they won't hardly lift a finger for God. And I don't mean to preach like this to arch. I mean, I'm not, I just got to preach what God put on my heart. Why is it so many people will pray for what, what they want or what they need, but they won't pray just to fellowship with God? Why is it that we never miss our fun, but we don't care about missing church, but we're supposed to be saved? Now, I know a lot of it can be attributed to backslidden Christians, and I believe if somebody gets saved, they're saved. But my heart breaks tonight to think some people, maybe even in this place, could be this close to the gospel and yet go to hell. You say, I don't like living the Christian life. It's no fun to live the Christian life without Christ. Too many people have just enough Jesus to make them act like a Christian on Sunday, but not enough to get them to heaven when they die. They preached. They said, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. They taught in Sunday school and he'll say, Lord, Lord, I never knew you. They sang in his name. They said, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. They might have gone soul winning, maybe even led someone to Christ themselves. And yet he'll say, I never knew you. They worked in the ministry and sat in the pew and did many wonderful things. But Jesus will declare, depart from me, I never knew you. That's why Paul said to the Corinthian church, they were so carnal, so worldly. He said in chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Consider your life. I don't know. Maybe it's too narrow. But, but my Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. By their fruit, you shall know them. It's been a great, there's been a great change since I've been born again. Not, not really. Not for many people who say they've been born again. I know this. My life is not like it was before I got saved. Now, my life is far short of being like Christ, and I'm a, I'm a sinner just like any other sinner in this world, but I know this much. I don't, I, I, my, my desires changed when I got saved. I never had a preacher, I never had a preacher tell me to change what I wore. No preacher ever instructed me, but the Holy Spirit of God did. And I'm not got, I've not got that all down just like you don't. No preacher ever said, now, Justin, you get rid of, and I, I can name the groups that I used to listen to the music. No preacher ever made me do that. They're so kind to me. But I'd drive down the road one day back to my secular college. The Holy Spirit of God preached to me, and I threw all those CDs out the window. No preacher ever told me, now, now Brother Cooper, you ought not be taking your wife to the movie theater. I'm not trying to cramp the service. I'm just telling you, no, no preacher ever made that rule for me. I used to go all the time before I got saved. Had, had many experiences there. But not since, not, not, not since being in the ministry, not since being saved. I tried to drag my wife into one after we got married for a date. I'd I just gotten saved and was still And we sat through the, like, the first 20 minutes and she whooped my rear end out of there. That's right. She, she drugged me out of there. She got more convictions than God himself. But anyway, <clears throat> all I'm saying is this. Jesus did more than to change my eternity. He's changing my life. Tell me this tonight. How has your life altered since God moved in? How have your desires altered? Your, your language, your want to, your priorities. How has that altered since the God of eternity took up residence within your life? Take your Bible and I'll, I'll hurry, but go to Revelation chapter number 20. We'll be just about on time. Revelation chapter 20. I want to read these verses to you from the Bible. Verse 11 down through verse number 15. Very sobering thing. This book we're talking about tonight, this registry, you see it up here, this illustration of what it would be. 
Here the Bible talks about these books, three books it mentions. In verse number 11, let's read it. See it? And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. That means rich and poor from all walks of life. They stand before God, and here's the phrase, and the books were open. You say, what books are those? I believe it's a record of all the works of your life, maybe one of those books. The other book there would be the Word of God. But then there's a third book, and that third book is there. You say, what's that one? That book is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were... By the way, why are they judged according to their works? Because they said no to grace. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Listen to this. It's going to really happen. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And watch this verse. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I wonder tonight, if we were allowed, if God would allow us to erase whosoever and let him fill it in with the names of those that are not saved. I wonder if he'd write your name in where it says whosoever. That day, whenever Jesus, the just judge, opens the book and you say, well, I did this and I did that, but that's not what matters. They're going to see if the blood's been applied to your life. And at that great white throne, it's just everybody there. They're going to go to the lake of fire. You know, when that book of life is open and your name's not there, it won't matter how much money you made. It won't matter what kind of house you lived in. It won't matter what kind of job you had or your social standing, your education level. As it is appointed to men once to die and after this to judgment, all that's going to matter is are you in the book? You say, God, who's in heaven? God, who's in heaven? I know who's in heaven. Baptists are in heaven. God would say, no, Baptists aren't in heaven. God, who's in heaven? The Methodists are in heaven. No, Methodists aren't in heaven. God, who's in heaven? The Presbyterians. The Presbyterians. No, they're not in heaven. The Catholics. No, they're not in heaven. Well, who's in heaven? Only those found written in the book. 3,000 times George Whitfield preached, you must be born again. 3,000 times. A man asked him, Mr. Whitfield, why have you preached so many times you must be born again? And here's what he said. Because you must be born again. I'll close with this. I read this and it spoke to my heart. It says, upon the seashore sand, I wrote my name one day. The waves came in and when they left, my name had passed away. Upon the shifting sands of time, men write their names today. But when eternal years roll in, their name will pass away. But upon the spotless book of life, God wrote my name one day. Eternal years can never take that God-pinned name away. My name is there forever, through all God's endless day. For he who died to write it there has put it there to stay. Tonight, if you're saved, you can hear a message like this and rejoice that you're saved and sorrow over those who are not. But if you're tonight and you're not really born again, it doesn't matter what you've done or what you've said or what people think about you. It's what God knows. And if you're not in the book and you die that way, you'll be cast into a lake of fire. I wonder if we saw that book tonight, if your name's in it. I think it was Brother, I think it was Brother Russ was singing it as he went to his office. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. I think you sang a little bit of that just right before you left for today. I'm glad I can sing that. But I wonder if you can sing that. Do you know for sure that you're saved? You've been born again. 
Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.